This episode of the Shooter Such Podcast is brought to you by Mormon Clothers in Mason City and Ames. I'm sure all you Cyclone fans are aware of the incredible service that Mormon Clothers is providing to the Ames community, but for everybody else, you have to stop in and check them out. They combine 125 years of expertise between the two stores and promise a proper style and a superior product. And I can attest, the product is truly unbelievable, but what separates them from everybody else is their customer service. They will provide the perfect fit and the perfect customer service to keep you coming back. Check them out, Mason City and Ames, or online at mormonclothers.com. I was getting, I was getting a lot of no letters, and I kept some of the letters because it was like motivation for me. I was young in my coaching career. I did know that those guys I was coaching, this was their one opportunity. If you really want the players to like you, just make them better. If I want to keep playing this game, you know, as a job, I, I have to continue to get better at that. You have to figure out a way to carve out some value that you have that you can bring not only to your team but also your profession. It's really good information, and I pick up little nuggets all the time. For me, it's all about confidence, man. You you have to have confidence to be a shooter, to be uh, a basketball player in general, and to have success. You, you, it's all about confidence. If they walk a mile in my shoes, then they can ball like I do. But my game different, not the same with it. I travel now, y'all just change, pivot. Shooters, welcome into another episode of the Shooters Touch podcast, where we are trying to grow the game of basketball one story at a time. And we got an unbelievable episode for you this week. I know we say that every week because you know, we have a lot of guests that come on and, and share their stories, and it's a lot of fun. But this one's a little different. We bring on newly promoted assistant men's basketball coach at Iowa State University, Nate Schmidt. Nate's got a really cool story. If you're not familiar with it, I think you'll really enjoy this one. I guess that's assuming that you enjoy basketball and working hard, getting better, player development, analytics, paying your dues. I mean, all those are in this story, and it's a lot of fun catching up with Nate. We hope you enjoy it. As always, shoot or shoot. Well, newly minted assistant coach Nate Schmidt, welcome to the Shooter's Touch. Thank you. I appreciate it. Coach, we're excited to have you on. Excited to hear your story. There's, uh, it's been quite a, quite a journey over the last five, six, seven years here. And so can't wait to get into that. But uh, as Adam said, uh, new assistant coach at Iowa State University has got to be exciting for you. Um, we were talking a little off air. Nothing's guaranteed. But uh, when the position came available, did you feel pretty good about the opportunity? And then ultimately, um, what was your first kind of reaction once you received the call or heard the news? Uh, yeah, I definitely think it, would, it was a possibility. Uh, obviously, my relationship with Coach TJ, uh, the thing I, I value a ton with, with TJ is uh, he's always had very direct, honest conversations with me. Um, and when the position and, and Coach Robinson was able to get the Cleveland State job, he had a direct conversation with me and kind of talked through the process and what he was looking for. And, um, you know, he's always been kind of a mentor of mine and he's always been someone that's been straight up with me and been honest with me. So I appreciated that. And you know, I, I felt good about it, but it wasn't for sure, you know, um, but obviously very excited, very excited for the, for the, you know, the role and to be able to be full-time as an assistant and be on the court and, you know, not have to 
worry so much about, you know, looking over my shoulder and, and, you know, I can be out on the court and coach. And so is that the biggest change for, you know, for listeners who may not know going into the assistant position, it's, it's more opportunity to be on court, more interaction um, games, uh, practices with the players. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, a lot of people, I, I was player development uh, my last year at Iowa State under Prome, and then I was player development at UNLV, and I was player development last year here. And I think a lot of people hear that and they think there's no rules and he can do whatever he wants on the court. And obviously for Division One and sports and support staff, uh, they changed it recently where I could only be on the court um, during a practice or workout if there was a coach gone recruiting. Um, so other than that, I had to be on the sideline. I could not instruct. I could not teach. It was more of me giving my thoughts, ideas, advice to TJ, Coach TJ, or one of our assistants. So I couldn't be on, out on the court coaching guys up unless there was a coach gone recruiting. Um, so I think that's the biggest difference where now as a full-time assistant, you know, I can be out on the court um, coaching the entire time. And then obviously recruiting as well. Um, this past year, I wasn't able to go watch players play. I could call them. I could, you know, text with them. I could watch film of them, um, different things like that. But I could only do it from Ames. So I think those are the two, you know, I'm, no, no rules on the court, um, you know, outside of the we have a certain number of hours that we can work our guys out. And then obviously now as a, you know, assistant coach, I can go out on the road and recruit. Now, on the player development side, then you were uh, heavy in leading is like off-season workouts and like individual workouts. Is that correct? Yeah. So a lot of my role uh, in the previous couple of years has been kind of putting the plan together and talking with our coaches and kind of giving them thoughts and ideas as far as, you know, what each guy needs to be working on. And then, you know, having a, a plan for, you know, the eight-week summer period or the preseason period um, and then filling in where you know, one of our coaches might be at a live, live period and I could jump on the court or, you know, it might be, you know, they might be gone watching a high school game and I could jump on the court, different things like that. Gotcha. And then obviously um, in the player development role, did you have much of a role with scout and game prep stuff? Obviously that's got to be a, a change as well. Yeah, it was uh, same similar as, as on the court. Uh, it was a lot of kind of watching film and, and giving my thoughts and ideas um, to the coaching staff, to co Coach TJ and the three assistants, and just kind of arming them with everything that they needed, whether it was stats, film, um, different thoughts and ideas, different concepts, things like that. Yeah, no, that's good. I think that sometimes, like you said, that you, you often – don't act exactly know you see all those guys on the bench or you see the guys down at the end you get some you get some FaceTime on TV and you think that yeah you're just out there being able to do everything um and, and obviously that's not how that works uh there's definitely a lot of roles and the interesting thing about it is obviously you guys all have your niche and there's something that you know you do really well that's what's gotten you to that um you know and obviously for you on the player development side uh, it's been a huge thing for you because you can kind of pick the footwork and the little things out that are ultimately going to help you um, as you continue to progress. And so can't wait to hear more about that journey, but uh, we got to turn it back. Adam, we got to find out a little bit more about how, how Nate got to this position. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go back to uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan. Is that, is that right? Yep. Ypsilanti. Yep. All right. Can we, we can call it Ipsy though, moving forward, right? Ipsy, we Ipsy, okay, call yeah. Ipsy okay. for short. Yep. Okay. okay. <laughs> Ipsy, Ipsy's a little better for me too. Good to hear. Um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about you growing up. Um, 
obviously uh, family, childhood, stuff like that. And then ultimately, um, how did or what role did athletics or sports play in your childhood? Yeah, I actually started out playing hockey, um, was, was hockey, soccer, baseball. Um, and, I, you know, Michigan, cold winter, similar to Iowa. I, I didn't bring yeah. my um, I didn't bring my snow boots one time in the middle of winter, so I couldn't go play soccer. Uh, the teacher wouldn't allow it. I think this was probably fifth grade. So I had to play basketball and I played basketball that day at recess. And that was literally the day that I remember the first time I ever really played basketball. And I kind of loved it from there and, um, and started playing it and, you know, started playing AU and, and with the middle school and then, you know, played it in high school. Um, but um, family owns an antique store in Ipsy, right on the edge of Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti. So it's been in our family for 115 years. Um, and counting. So uh, I think, I believe it was my, my dad's going to kill me for this, but I think it was my great grandfather that started it. Um, so, you know, growing up, like I obviously wanted to play division one and then I knew I wasn't a division one player and wanted to play division two and probably wasn't a division two player. And, um, you know, I, I got some recruitment from division three schools and uh, it was a pretty simple decision um, when the financial aid offer from the division three you know they don't give full athletic scholarships they give financial scholarships um when the offer from denison university came about my dad kind of looked at me and said you're going to go to denison because 97 percent of your tuition is going to be paid and it's a great school and i looked at him and said great i'll call the coach and tell him i'm i'm committing there so um but no i mean growing up sports was huge and it was huge and i had a, a handful of very impactful coaches um, a lot of my AU coaches were, were very impactful in my life and they still are. And it, it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of came full circle a little bit um, because there's actually my former AU coach has a son who's entering high school, who's probably going to be a high major, mid-major plus type prospect. And it's, it's kind of crazy to see it all come full circle because I was, you know, he was at my practice when I was in sixth grade, running around, chasing the ball, wouldn't leave dad alone. You know, so it's kind of cool to see see that come full circle. That is cool. That is cool. So um, I guess let's maybe go back to that day uh, on the playground. So how did um, after that, it was just a love for basketball. Obviously, I'm assuming you went out for basketball either that year or the next year. And then it kind of the rest is history from there. But was it after that? Was it just basketball? Were you playing a lot of other sports or what did that look like? Uh, after that, it was kind of straight basketball. Uh, I played lacrosse for one year, just kind of in the yeah. fall and needed something to do. And I think I played freshman football uh, just because I was a big guy and coach wanted me to come play football. So, you know, dabbled a little bit with lacrosse and, and football. But, um, you know, I, I was kind of my heart was set on basketball. And I started, um, you know, a guy, Marv Fox, was kind of my my trainer, per se. And he was kind of a big brother to me. And, and I started working out with him in eighth grade. He was he kind of led me on the journey as far as the player development and the training and the, a lot of the creativity stuff. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of conversations and obviously he worked me out a ton, but um, he was an impactful guy. So he kind of helped me really focus on basketball and kind of lock in on basketball. Um, and what years were these? Oh boy. I graduated high school in uh, 2010. Okay. So what so did the, uh, when you were when you were in fifth, sixth, you know, middle 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 school, we'll say, um, what what did the AAU scene look like at that time in Michigan? So there was a couple at the time. There was the Michigan Mustangs. There were Adidas sponsored team. There was the Michigan Hurricanes. Uh, I think that was a Reeboks team at the time. And then there was the family who was the Nike team. Um, 
and I didn't even try out for those teams. I, I mm-hmm. couldn't make those teams. I tried out for the teams below those and I couldn't make those either. So I played on a local team with Michigan Mavericks. Um, and we had, we had some good players. We had some guys go division two and, and junior college. Um, for me, it was, it was fun. I was, you know, my, the entire team was kind of from Ipsy Detroit area. Um, so there was a lot of, a lot of guys that were, you know, I had to be tough. I had to be physical. Um, but at the same time, I grew a bond with those guys. And, and those were some guys that, that always had my back on the court. And, you know, there was a lot of lifelong, you know, relationships that, that formed because of it. Yeah. And you haven't, uh, probably haven't heard the words, uh, Reebok sponsored basketball that, team in, in, in quite a while. That's exactly where I was at. I'm like Reebok. Okay. I like that. Got those John Wall zigzags, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. well, that's great. That's great. And, you know, we talk about all the time, uh, on the podcast coach that, you know, you can go play, uh, whether it be college, you no, know, no matter what level or pros, whatever overseas, but that, you know, the bond you have with those, with those dudes you play high school with, um, middle school, high school growing up, you know, that's just, that's just something, you know, on another level. Um, and honestly, uh, I mean, in my opinion, kind of cool that you got to do that on, on the AAU scene too. Cause a lot of, I mean, obviously, especially these days where, you know, a lot of these kids are playing with people from, you know, out of state sometimes and, you know, and that's a good thing as well, you know, getting more competition, you know, getting, getting, getting more acclimated to other players. But, you know, as far as that bond goes, you kind of mentioned it, that playing with those guys from middle school and high school, you know, was, was, I mean, pretty special for you. Yeah. And I, I think it was always cool. We, we would play against each other in high school as well, like outside of AAU, you know, we were teammates in AAU and then we were competing against each other and we all knew yeah. each other's moves. And um, I would always go play open gyms uh, and, and Dearborn right outside Detroit. Uh, Dearborn Heights, Robichaux was, you know, we had three or four guys that were on my AU team that played there. So I would always go play there in open gyms in the fall. And, um, you know, it was just fun. It was, it was competitive, but it was all local guys and none of them were big ego guys. And we all kind of just were embraced kind of the underdog, underdog role. But I, I think the, awesome. you know, part of it is the practices, the travels, the open gyms. I mean, those were the fun times. Like I, I probably had more fun when we played open gym and there's yeah. it's hot and the floor's slippery and you know, it's in the middle of the summer and you know, we're, we're calling fouls tight and there's 20 people on the sideline that are all calling next. And yeah. I think those were probably some of the best times that I had playing basketball. Um, just, and a lot of them were, we're just the AU teammates and you know, those guys. Yeah. Oh. Not to mention there's no, no coaches yelling at you at those open gyms. So that helps. You, just you can just shoot, your teammates. You can, shoot, you can shoot as many threes as you want. <laughs> yeah, no question. So how far? So Ann Arbor to Detroit, how far are we talking? Uh, it's probably 25 minutes, 30 minutes to downtown. Okay. And then it's, it's Ipsy, right? It's right in the middle, right? In between Ann Arbor? So, so Ypsilanti is right next to Ann Arbor. Okay. It borders it right to the east. Gotcha. That's interesting. And then, so how big was your school? Like roughly, do you know? Your high school? So, yeah. So the first school I went to, uh, Ann Arbor Huron, I think it was the top, there was 2000, 2100 kids in the school. It was one of the biggest schools, uh, in the state at the time. And it was actually one of the most diverse schools in the state. Um, so I went there for my first three years. And then my last year I transferred to Ipsy Lincoln cause I wanted to go play with an AU teammate. Shockingly <laughs> enough. So, yeah, nice. uh, I went over there and you know, it's, it's funny cause you know, I was, I joke with some of our guys. I was the guy that was a four man that wanted to be a three that wanted to shoot threes that wanted to be showcased that I was skilled. So like, I have a little soft spot for those guys. Cause I was that guy. And, you know, I, I knew I wasn't, 
uh, a three because I couldn't guard anyone. And my, I had slow feet and I wasn't a great athlete. So I should have just embraced being a four and stayed at the first school probably. <laughs> so did, well you, here. did you grow up a Wolverine then or what was the deal? Who, were, who was your as a kid? Yeah, def, definitely grew up a Wolverine. Um, you know, family, dad had family uh, football season tickets. Uh, went, would go to basketball games uh, when Tommy Amaker was the head coach there. Uh, and then obviously when Beeline was there a little bit as well. Um, but definitely was a Wolverine fan uh, and over a Spartan fan. I think kind of when once I got kind of later in high school and in college, um, knowing that I kind of wanted to coach in college, I kind of, I guess, okay. shedded that, shedded that a little bit yeah. as far as just, you know, I knew I was probably going to work at a college and like it just doesn't feel right being quote unquote like Michigan fan, even though, you know, that's my hometown. But, um, you know, I was a I was a huge Lloyd Carr fan. Huge Lloyd Carr yeah. football fan, um, so I won't touch too much on the, the Michigan football so, program, but um, love the Lloyd Carr day, days. So where does uh, where does Charles Woodson rate on your childhood um, idol list? He's up there. He's up yeah. there. Probably top three. Yeah, I can see that. We're, what about Jamal Crawford? Were you a big Jamal fan? Would that have been? Big Jamal. Now, he was yeah. – he was a little before I really started like falling in love with basketball. Yeah. Um, he was a little before that, I think. Well, he only no played more... like he only played like eight games in Michigan too, didn't he? He didn't. Yeah. I mean, he was suspended and visit or whatever it was, and but those eight games he killed. Yeah, yeah, no question, no question. I think the the Michigan players that I really looked up to, uh, probably Manny Harris and Deshaun Sims, probably two guys that not, maybe not a lot of the listeners are aware of but two two Detroit guys that man they were you know in my mind I was like man these guys are first round draft picks like they were the best of the best and I saw I was able to see both of them in high school um so it was cool watching them play at Michigan yeah yeah um well that's awesome that's awesome so uh like let's maybe jump back to um you mentioned obviously um you know, making that decision or, or, you know, dad made it maybe helped you out with the decision to go to college there. Um, what was, uh, what was the biggest transition from high school basketball into college basketball for you? Uh, I think it was probably just the commitment overall, as far as, you know, how much time you're putting into it. And I think every high schooler thinks they're, they're dedicated to it. They're putting a lot of time into it. And then you realize you can't eat McDonald's every day and, you know, you eat better and sleep better. And, you know, you have 6 a.m. weights and that's a little different than, you know, 10 a.m. weights and after school workouts. So I think probably just the time and the commitment. I, I always looked at myself as a hard worker and a, and a committed guy, but, um, you know, just going from high school to college, I think that's always a, a big jump. Yeah. When you're, um, yeah, I've talked to, I've talked to many people in high school and maybe even coming out of high school that, you know, have, have, Hey, I think I want to, I think I want to try to walk on. And I said, well, if, if that, if that word is in there, that statement that you don't know, you want to walk on, um, you probably don't want to. It's because it, you, you said it, you know, you're getting up at whatever time, 5am to lift. And then you got to sit through 8am math class, uh, and then a couple other classes, then lunch, then three hour practice, then maybe weights after that. It's a, it is definitely a job. Um, and if, like you said, if you're not, you're not completely on board, it's, it's, it's going to be tough to make it for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, um so, on, so I, hold on. I got a couple of things before we get too far away from the, the home. So who's going to take over the antique store then? I assume you're not going back. I mean, where, where's the next, next one? Retirement going? plan. Retirement. So plan. I, I had a conversation, uh, with my father 
Um, so right now my father and my uncle run it and my brother works there. So I had a conversation the, the winter break of my freshman year uh, of college. I was back home and I sat down with my dad and, and we kind of talked and I said, you know, like, I know I'm not going anywhere playing basketball because um, I'm at a division three and I'm, I can, can't even get on the court here, but I knew I wanted to coach and I knew I had a love for it. And I wasn't sure whether that was training, coaching, NBA, college, high school, like had no idea what level or, or what, but I knew I wanted to do something within basketball. And, um, you know, my dad kind of gave me the, the blessing of, you know, that's fine. Like you, you always have a plan B or a backup plan. You can always come work at the shop, but just make sure you put your all into it and, you know, that you stay committed to it and you, you do everything you can to make it work. Um, so he's always been extremely supportive and, you know, it's been some, some ups and downs with, you know, taking different jobs, different places, you know, not a ton of money and pay and, and this and that, but uh, he's been extremely supportive throughout the whole process. And, you know, it was kind of, he kind of gave me the blessing and said, if you're going to do it, put your all into it, but you know, you're welcome. Come back and work at the shop anytime. That's great. And then, well, so Ips is also the home. Ipsy is also the home of Eastern Michigan, right? We have, I mean, I'm yep. sure very few of our listeners know that. Um, we, we take in any Eastern Michigan games or what was the deal like that growing up? Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely took, took in some of those, the, the, the ticket prices were a little cheaper. Um, <laughs> yeah, so right. we would go as like a big team, like our AU team went a couple of times, you know, we, we get a suite. Um, the, the Eastern Michigan games growing up weren't as crowded, uh, as the Michigan games. I kind of, you know, you kind of sit where you want. Um, yeah. But no, definitely, definitely took in some Eastern Michigan games. I mean, Eastern Michigan's campus is probably six or seven miles away from my house. So a couple of turns and, and it's right up the road. So uh, definitely took in some of those games. Got to go where you can go. That's for sure. Especially when it comes to hoops. Um, mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you, uh, you knew, um, at least had an idea at an earlier age than a lot of, a lot of the guests we have that, that you maybe wanted to coach. Do you remember um, when that thought came into mind? And, and, you know, maybe even after that, when when it really became something that, yeah, I, I do want to do this. Yeah, so in the summer going into my freshman year of college, I helped out Mar Fox, who was my trainer. I helped him with a couple camps and really just enjoyed it. Like, loved teaching the game, and I always had a love for the game. And I always, you know, felt like a creative side. And obviously being a Division three level athlete, like, wasn't able to – I wasn't always able to do the moves, but I, I felt like I knew the moves or could teach the moves. So uh, I did a couple of those camps. And then um, the way the way our school schedule worked out, I had about a month back home for Christmas break my freshman year. And I emailed a handful of high school coaches. And this is kind of how I got hooked up at, at Romulus, but um, kind of knew going into it within that summer that, you know, I kind of determined, I guess, going into school, like, yeah, we'll see how it goes my freshman year, but might not play all four years, probably want to get into coaching at some time, you know, could really kind of get a leg up if I started when I was in college. And, you know, so kind of kind of probably determined it probably going in that freshman year uh, going into it. And so then what, uh, so what was the first experience then? Did you have an opportunity? Was it at the high, helping out the high school level or AU circuit or what did, uh, what did you do as your, your first uh, coaching opportunity? Yeah, so I my first coaching opportunity um, was at Romulus High School. So I got hooked up with Coach Oates because uh, when I went back for Christmas break uh, my freshman year, I emailed about five or six local high schools in Michigan, and more so just hey, 
currently play division three, wanted to get into coaching at some time, would love to come and watch your practice. And I was, at the time I was, you know, writing all these practice notes and trying to get practice plans and just wanted to see it and be around it. Um, and I was, you know, I knew I was kind of be home bored. And um, so I went and went and watched the Romulus practice and I went and watched their scrimmage and I went and watched another practice, um, went back to school, played, finished out the year. And then coming back in the spring, I hit Coach Oates up against just saying, hey, I'm home and went up to a, a workout. And I was sitting there about halfway through the workout and he comes over to me and says, why don't, why don't you just jump in and help us? Like you can stop sitting on the sideline, taking notes, like jump in and, and get out there and help us with these workouts. So I got up and jumped in the workout and, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of all, all she wrote from there. That's awesome. Um, yeah. At what point in that then, um, you know, working with the high school kids, did you kind of start to think or try to differentiate between, okay, do I want to stay at the high school level or, I want more. I want to go to the college level. Like when, what do you remember about kind of thinking that transition? Like, Hey, the, this is it. I know this is where I want to be. I'm having a lot of fun with this, but I think I want to get to the college game. Yeah. I think, uh, I think early on me and coach Oates had a conversation about like what that next step would be. Cause I had no idea what it was. You know, I didn't know if it was, I didn't know if you went from like high school assistant to, you know, assistant division one coach. Like I didn't, I had no idea what the path was. And he, he, he had just helped Charlie Henry get to Iowa state um, through TJ, through Fred. So he had just helped Charlie kind of go from Charlie was an assistant at Romulus, Charlie Henry. And then, you know, he was a, a graduate assistant at Iowa state and he was kind of moving up at Iowa state. So he explained to me the, the opportunity to be a GA. And he basically said, Hey, you, you work for me for two years and put your all into it. And, you know, at the time I was, I was still in college at Denison. So I was driving up every weekend and we, we played in a lot of showcase games. So I would coach, Friday, Saturday, drive back down on Sunday, stay at school, have an 8 a.m. on Friday, drive back. And then obviously our breaks lined up. I had a month winter break and then my spring break was right kind of during our playoff run at Romulus. So uh, and then we did tons of workouts, tons of summer leagues, tons of team camps. You know, as soon as um, as soon as the school was over and as soon as I got back home. Uh, so I was able to spend a lot of time with those guys. And obviously I, I missed a handful of, you know, of conference games during the week, but I was able to be there a decent amount. And, you know, even being down at school, Oates would send me game film to clip up or, you know, different teams to watch upcoming opponents or, you know, give my thoughts and, and all that. And when you're saying, um, I guess when you're saying coach Oates, uh, the coach Oates that's at Alabama currently, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, coach Oates at Alabama. Yep. Yeah. So, um, and sorry, looking back with the experience you have now, um, at that time, working with him in, at the high school level, was, was he just, I mean, far in advance of any other high school coach um, with the experience you have you have now? Or what did, like, his mentality look like? Because I know he has kind of a different philosophy on the game, at least currently. Um, was Did he have the same philosophy, or, or what did that look like right now when you're looking back at that time? Yeah, it's, it was definitely a very similar philosophy. I felt that, that Coach Oates – ran Romulus High School, the basketball program, like as close to a division one program as possible. And he had obviously been there for, I think, 11 years by the time I started working with him. So he was, he was able to build it up. But, you know, he always went to different division one practices or NBA training camps or different things like that. So he was always trying to kind of keep evolving and improving his program. And, you know, like we had six shooting machines and, you know, he – one of the one of the businesses that that uh, sold the guns 
um, in Detroit was going out of business and Oates went and bought five of them and he bought them all half off. So we had a yellow one, a green one, a purple one, like they weren't Romulus colors, but we had two that were Romulus colors. But, you know, just from, from the standpoint of the player development, how much our, how much time our guys put in the gym and, you know, 6am workouts before school, after school, um, the weight program, the speed and agility stuff. Like I, I felt like Oates really tried to run Romulus as, as close to a division one program as possible. Oh, that's, yeah, that's awesome. That's interesting. I didn't realize that, that, that Charlie Henry was there either. Um, I thought the connection, did, did he do any front office time with, uh, Fred at Indiana or did he come straight from Rombius? Rombius. So, um, let me think. I'm sorry. That. You might not know. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, put no, I'm, I'm trying to think. So I, I know I'm trying to think he was at, I think he went Romulus to Utah and then Utah to Indiana, and then Indiana Pacers to Iowa State. To Iowa State with Fred. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought they were together in Indy um, before coming to Ames, and then they hear you kind of connect those dots for for you and Coach Oates making that connection is um, is really great. And so so with that then, well, hold on. So for what what did you get in your degree then um, in college? What did you actually, what did you graduate with? It was an economics degree economics and hey that's not a bad idea though economics degree um already coaching kind of want to be a college coach player development i mean you kind of got uh, um, everything working for you obviously putting the time in working hard driving all over hell to get where you need to be um so then you you um you graduate and then how where does the the first run at or the first stop at iowa state come in i mean how many years did uh uh, you spend coaching outside of college before you came over to Ames? So I was at my, my sophomore and junior, sophomore and junior year at Denison, I was coaching at Romulus still. And when I was at Romulus, I was doing some personal training with different guys in Detroit, some guys in Columbus. I was also helping with a couple of different scouting services. Um, so I was going to AAU events and kind of, I, I mean, I was trying to do it all when I was in college. I was trying to coach high school I taught, thought about coaching AAU scouting services training I mean I was I was all over the place if you ask my college roommate my best friend he'll say I was never there until my senior year so um, my senior year I didn't coach at Romulus Oates that's when Oates left for Buffalo so I didn't coach um, I was fortunate enough going into my senior year I, I came out to Iowa State for camps um, and kind of had a talk with Fred and, and Charlie was out here at the time and you know Fred said hey if we have an opening next year as a GA it's yours um, so my senior year, I did a lot more just scouting and kind of training. I wasn't coaching at the time, but as, as soon as I graduated from Denison, um, I drove right out to Iowa state. I actually had to, uh, sorry, as soon as I was done with classes at Denison, I drove right out to Iowa state. I actually was at Iowa state for two weeks and had to fly back to Denison, uh, to walk across the stage. Uh, but I, I, I got very lucky and fortunate because I kind of already had it you know, I knew what I was doing. So I knew as soon as my last class at Denison was done, I, I wanted to get out to Iowa State and get started right away. And, um, you know, was fortunate that it happened like that. Yeah, that is great. Uh, timing obviously doesn't always work out uh, quite like that. But uh, talk about those camps, and especially, uh, you know, for younger coaches um, or people or even players who uh, might have that same passion that uh, you have. And now you've seen it. Um, at a couple of Division One programs, but working summer camp and networking and doing all that—how huge is that for a young coach uh, trying to kind of cut their teeth and get a foot in the door? Yeah, I think it's really big. I think it's huge because it it allows you 
um, to really spend time with people and, and get to know people. And I, I think the time that I remember the most outside was the time outside kind of away from the actual camp, the nine to five of camp, whether it was we were getting there early to set stuff up, whether it was we were watching workouts or we were grabbing some food, you know, at night, but just, just being able to network and, and, you know, meet new people, I think is huge. I think, I think what's even bigger is trying to stay connected to those people throughout the year, whether that's maybe going to a practice or, you know, shooting them a text or different things like that. I think that's probably one thing, you know, I, I would work a handful of camps, uh, different camps back in Michigan or things like that. Um, and I think, the one, I guess, advice that I would have that I didn't always do a great job of was just staying connected to some of those people. Cause I think, you know, everyone wants to get everyone's number at the camp and, and stay connected. And I think sometimes, you know, as the season starts, you lose track of some of those people. Yeah, it can be easy to do. That's the hardest part with a lot of things. But uh, so Iowa State camp, um, working summer camp, that's that's where you and I first kind of crossed paths and uh, uh, first met each other. But, uh, and what I remember, uh, obviously coming to, uh, the rec center is hot all day. We had 300, 400 campers, whatever it was, um, and doing all that. And you guys had weights in the morning and then you had individual workouts until probably midnight. And so your days uh, that I, I would show up for two weeks and I was dead tired and I had half the schedule you did. And so um, what do you remember about that? Obviously, so a couple of things you, you get on campus at Iowa State, you're a GA, um, you know, you were doing a lot of workout stuff. You eventually work into that player development role. Um, a lot of talent on campus. You're kind of trying to figure this out. You're running these guys through the workout. Um, is there at any point in like kind of first getting going, is there a little bit of not necessarily fake it till you make it, but like, hey, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to learn real quick because I know these guys have a high level of ability and I got to get them better. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think um, kind of when I was doing some training in high school, I had kind of gotten probably a little maybe too creative, I guess. Um, you know, a close friend of mine used to run Prep Hoops TV, Jay Jensen, and um, he saw Kyrie working out with a plastic bag wrapped around the ball. Um, so we, we, we did one of those and it got half a million views on YouTube. And, you know, that like I had never used it after that, but I probably got a little too creative. Um, but I think obviously working with talented guys that that knew the game, um, part of it for me was just trying to learn the game and learn kind of what Iowa State was all about as far as offensively, defensively, and what each guy was going to have to do uh, on the court. But um, a lot of it was, you know, working with working with some really good dudes, but also, you know, being close with George and building that relationship quickly. He's he's going to tell you if he thinks the drill isn't great or if it's a stupid drill or if it's you know whatever it may be he's he's going to tell you and you're going to have honest conversation about it you know you can we've, we've probably had a million arguments about different drills and different things that he doesn't think make sense and I have to explain why they do make sense and, and vice versa so um, but part of it was definitely that part of it was you know I felt good about you know my ability to connect with players and, and be on the court and, and work them out and get them better but part of it was just figuring out at the college level, like how do I get these guys better? I knew how to get high school guys better to be ready for college. How do I get college guys ready to be ready to compete in the big 12? 
How, uh, how huge was it to be able to work, you know, with and for Hoiberg um, from an offensive side of things? Obviously, uh, you know, you do defensive player development stuff, but a lot of the time is spent on the offensive end and developing those skills. And so um, obviously Fred wants to get up and down and shoot the ball and, you know, offensively understanding schematically where to be and how to get there and how to get your shot off. And, and so how huge was that for you, you know, relatively early in your career to be able to see and understand and, and, and break down some of that on a, on an offensive side of things? It was huge. Uh, it was really big for me. I think probably one of the biggest things that really helped me right away was just the terminology. And it was terminology that he used and, and he, you know, when he had played and coached and been a part of the NBA that he, he brought directly from the NBA. So it was cool for me because, you know, at Romulus, we had a, a good amount of terminology, but, you know, just hearing the NBA terminology and, you know, kind of speaking the basketball language at a higher level uh, was something that I really embraced right away. And I think that was, you know, obviously he's, he's a master when it comes to drawing up plays and picking on mismatches and, you know, putting guys in situations to be successful. But uh, I think his ability to give guys confidence uh, and really kind of get behind them and, and give them confidence, whether that's a, a bad shooting night or, you know, confidence down to knock down the next shot. But um, the terminology, I think looking back at it was probably one of the biggest things, just being able to speak basketball with people at, you know, the high major, the NBA, the G League level, um, kind of speaking, speaking the same language. Well, I think that was so big, too, for Fred um, and those guys that he had and kind of the start of the whole transfer and bringing guys in um, era of things like, you know, from from a very far distance of what I, I mean, it was ran like an NBA team. Um, and the way that things worked. And that also then means leaning heavily on his staff to be able to help out and implement, you know, and everyone kind of be on the same page. And so, um, so I imagine, yeah, that was, that was cool. And it obviously set you up here moving forward as we continue to move down the road. But uh, when, when TJ gets there, was there, was there an instant connection? Um, obviously we kind of, kind of set the stage here as we move down the road a little bit, but uh, was it something that you're like, Hey, this is a good dude. Uh, knows a lot. I guess uh, this might be this might be a nice guy to stay uh, stay close to. Yeah, definitely. I, I had met TJ. I think at the previous final two Final Fours uh, before he came back to Iowa State, um, and obviously Coach Oates had a very close relationship with Coach TJ. Um, but you know, like just I think being around him, you see his work work ethic, you know, right off the bat. But then you also see just how he treats people and kind of how he you know, how he builds those, those meaningful relationships. And I think there's a lot of people in this business that network. And I think there's uh, a very few people that really build true meaning, meaningful relationships. And I, and I saw very quickly, he was a guy that, you know, he was one of those guys, if you're loyal and you're on, you're on, you know, his side, like he's probably going to be loyal to the, de to the death. So, um, you know, he's, he's someone that we had a, we, we definitely had an instant connection. I think part of it was, um, you know, he knew he could call on me at, Anytime, if he needed something, film a project, scouting, guy need to be worked out. Um, you know, I always kind of took pride as a GA of, you know, my phone was always on loud and it was always charged. So I was always available. And I think he, you know, he kind of was attracted to that as far as like, you know, just someone that he could always count on. And he knew that if he called me, the, the job would get done and, and no task was too small for me. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's big. And then as obviously things go um, in the world of college basketball, it's, it's still very much a business and people are moving and going. 
Um, and so obviously TJ and um, even, for, you know, so well, let's go to Fred. So obviously Fred uh, goes, I was on campus for that decision. That was kind of a crazy week of crazy week of basketball when Fred makes uh, makes the call and is going to Chicago. And then everyone starts looking around like who's going with um, like, I don't know, like everyone's trying to figure it out. You guys probably knew way more than I did, but then all of a sudden, obviously Charlie, uh, went with him and he took Lenzer as well. And so what were you kind of thinking? What was your outlook there? Um, was it something you're like, Hey, I'm kind of just getting going here. Um, really kind of starting to get my feet wet and build these relationships. Uh, were you hopeful, wishful, or did you know you were going to stay on staff or what did that look like in that transition period for you? Yeah, I think uh, obviously I loved working for coach, coach Hoiberg and, and we had a good, good relationship. I wouldn't say we were extremely close. Um, obviously, uh, Lindsay and, and Charlie were, were really close to Fred and had, were able to work with them for multiple years. So, uh, I think right off the bat, I was, when, when that Fred made that announcement, you know, I was thinking of coming back to Iowa state for another year. And in, in my mind, you know, I had a lot invested with the guys that we had returning, you know, the Montes, the Naz, Matt Thomas, George, uh, those type of guys. So, um, you know, I was kind of more hopeful of whoever they hire, hopefully, you know, hopefully they keep me on as a GA type, type of deal. So then um, later that week, so that week started at uh, um, Fred Hoiberg basketball camp and ended at Steve Prohm <laughs> basketball camp. Um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Fred was there on, on Monday and uh, Steve was there on Thursday. And so um, once, once uh, Prohm got, got the job and kind of the transition happened and uh, you knew your, your position was, was safe, um, what were you most excited about and looking forward to? And ultimately, um, you know, a lot of the same guys, as you mentioned, but how, how did the, how did the philosophy or maybe the dynamic change a little bit as um, head coaches changed? You know, I, I think obviously they have kind of two different personalities. And I think, um, you know, for me, it was, it was cool to see how, you know, just learn under another, you know, high level, you know, basketball mind. And, um, you know, it was, it was neat for me to kind of see our, our guys, you know, have to adjust a little bit and have to, you know, like there was a, a time that it was, you know, we kind of had to, I kind of had to talk with some of the guys of like, Fred's not here anymore. Like he's not going to, you know, run some play that has four names attached to it. And it's the tricky, tricky play and, and all that. But uh, I think, you know, there's obviously a million ways to, to coach and, and run a team and run a program. So uh, I was excited just to learn from another coach and learn from another staff. And I almost looked at it from a selfish standpoint of like, I was able to work with three assistants and a head coach and support staff under Fred. And now I get to, you know, build relationships and build connections with, you know, a whole another, another head coach, another group of assistants, some different support staff, you know, members. So I kind of looked at it as a, you know, just an exciting time to, to learn a new system and, and learn, you know, more about basketball. You don't necessarily have to speak about anybody's, um, in particular, but how do you, how do you, how do you, um, I guess, how do you think the guys handled that? Um, obviously having a ton of success with Fred, um, and then, you know, him leaving, uh, and then, you know, obviously a, a new coach coming in that, you know, has never really been at the high major level. Um, how do you think the team handled that? Yeah, I think overall they handled it well. Um, I think, you know, obviously the, the first week or so there was a lot of, head spinning and not knowing what's going on and I might do this and I might do that. And, um, you know, all, all of that stuff just cause there was uncertainty. Um, but I think the guys really kind of bought in and, and, you know, kind of looked at each other and said, Hey, like, 
we can do this. Like we, we won and, and Fred was our head coach and Fred did a great job, but you know, at the same time, we have a lot of belief in each other. Um, and, and once they kind of did that, then, you know, they really bought into coach Prohm and, and what he was, you know, what he was teaching and what his philosophies were. Yeah, and definitely, uh, definitely came together for those guys too. Those guys, uh, that crew specifically, obviously put together a really, a really nice career. Um, still going for uh, mm-hmm. most of them. Uh, before we get too far, we got to, we got to keep moving through your timeline. I got some fun stuff to touch on, but uh, talking about that staff and those guys kind of jump around and moving all over the place. I think a lot of times that speaks volumes to a staff when you're able to go and get different positions and get head jobs. Um, how about, how about Cornell man getting that, uh, Grand Valley state up, uh, up, up in Michigan. Is that something where he's going to good football program? Um, women's basketball has been good. Is Cornell going to get the men's team going or what's the deal? No question. No question. I, I mean, he's going to recruit Michigan really hard. There's some really good, um, you know, there's some really good division two players in the state of Michigan. And I know, I know Corn's going to be all over them and, and he's going to get them there. So, uh, I'm excited to see, I mean, I've, selfishly I went to the Grand Valley State elite camp when I was a sophomore in high school and I was like I got on campus I was like this is awesome I could totally go here and then they're you know the coach never called me back so uh, it's a great but I love it I think it's a great program and you know they've had some great players come through there and it's honestly an amazing campus especially you know not just at the division two level yeah, it's neat. I got a buddy that's on the football staff up there. And so I kind of kind of keep enough of an eye on what's going on. And uh, yeah, it looks like it's really neat. So, all right. So after Iowa State, we transition and go down and spend two years um, as assistant at Indian Hills. Uh, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Is that just an opportunity to see a different level, um, to have different responsibilities? Uh, what, what was the goal in those two years? Yeah, so uh Again, just kind of going back to TJ and, and having honest, direct conversations. Um, you know, it was him. It was Micah Byers. It was Coach Robinson. They all kind of sat me down after my third year at Iowa State. And, you know, they said, what is your goal? And at the time, my goal was to be a Division One assistant. And they all kind of said, well, that's great. You know, you're good on the court. You're good with players. You know scouting and video and all this. You have zero recruiting experience. And I think that was the main thing. And they had all kind of had junior college in their background and, and saw the benefits, not just from the recruiting, but from, you know, having a huge impact on the program and seeing everything that goes into the program. So, um, you know, it was definitely kind of spearheaded of, you know, getting some recruiting experience, but also, you know, just being at that level and being a full-time assistant coach. Yeah, that's, that's huge. I mean, we talk with a lot of coaches and, and do this very same thing where we kind of connect the dots through and it's like, you got to have the experience at different levels and in a different chair and doing a different thing to kind of get you ultimately where you want to go. Um, and then uh, summer of 19, you, you run out to Vegas for the summer, just wanted to take in the heat, but I think more importantly, wanted to, to work out some good guys. And so tell us a little bit about that summer. Was that just something um let's see so that would have been summer of 19 so we're not in pandemic yet right and then um and so you had an opportunity to work out I assume it was a George and a a bunch of those guys or what did that summer look like out in Vegas for you yeah so it was mostly uh George and Naz they had we had had conversations kind of after their NBA season was over um and they were like man it'd be really nice to have you kind of work us out full time and kind of get back to it and obviously being you know an assistant coach at Indian Hills like I didn't really have a lot of time. I couldn't just jump on a flight to LA and go work them out for a week. So, um, you know, I hadn't worked them out for a couple of years. I had just randomly, maybe at Iowa state, I drove, drove up there while I was at Indian Hills, but 
um, you know, it's kind of them just wanting me to be around full time. And it was a neat opportunity. And um, I kind of dove right into it. Um, and I was basically with George um, kind of all all summer, all off season. So wherever he went, whether that was back home to Boston, Chicago, back to Iowa State, uh, we went to L.A. We actually spent the first two months in Santa Barbara. Uh, they were doing a strength conditioning uh, program out there called P3. So me, me Naz and George kind of lived in a house out there. And I'd work them out on the court in the afternoons and they would do the strength and conditioning stuff in the morning. So uh, it was a fun, fun opportunity. And, and I think um, Will Clyburn was out in Vegas and some other guys were in Vegas. Um, so obviously TJ was the head coach at UNLV. So I was able to get free access to the UNLV gym and it was a, it was a good location. So uh, a lot of the summer was spent traveling and, and just being with George um, and just being, you know, he'd have, some deal he had to go to in LA for a week and we'd go to LA and we'd find a gym and we'd work out at USC or whatever, uh, or we'd go back home and work out at a rec center back home. So a lot of it was traveling with George when he was, you know, kind of whether it was downtime or, you know, he might have to go back and work with the team. Uh, I would head to Vegas and do a lot of workouts there in UNLV. That, uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Actually, I'm like super jealous, but that also sounds like a young man's game too. Uh, as you start to, to start to get a little older and finding places to crash and not really knowing what next week's going to look like, uh, that doesn't work, uh, the further you get down the road. So, yeah. um, so then did, did that working out? Did, did that lead or ultimately how did the, um, G league, uh, position come about as the video guy for, uh, the, the, it's a herd, right? The Wisconsin herd. Yep. Yep. So I, at the time I was planning on, you know, kind of starting a training business and, and figuring out whether I want to live full time in Vegas or, you know, do training back in Michigan or, you know, I was kind of set on maybe I'll do the training thing for a couple of years. And I think um, the G League opportunity came about and I had talked with a handful of G League assistants and a lot of the G League assistants, uh, the contracts in the G League are six month contracts. So they go, you know, from maybe October, you know, and six months into the spring. So a lot of the G League coaches or assistant coaches, they might do some training, you know, on their own or, um, you know, in the off season. So it was something that I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is cool. Like I can go do the G League, do it for six or seven months and see how that goes. And then kind of go back to Vegas during the summer and be around George and work George out wherever he is and, and Naz and Montana and some of those other guys. So um, that was kind of my thought. But, yeah, it, it kind of just it, it popped up and. Next thing you know, I was driving from Vegas to Oshkosh and it was kind of, it happened quick. And, um, you know, I, the, the NBA coaching, you know, changes a lot of the, the jobs don't get hired until, you know, August, September. And then when you look at G league, it's middle of September to late September. Um, so I was kind of, I was already trying to set up stuff with the LLC for a training company and different stuff like that. And, uh, had a chance to interview with the herd and, got the job and drove right out to Oshkosh and started training camp right away. Vegas to uh, Oshkosh sounds like maybe a little bit of a change. A little bit, a little bit. A little. <laughs> hey, um, when you were, um, when you got there, did you run into, um, did you run to um, a John Little at all? Oh yeah. Worked with yeah? him. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Uh, as you may know, but I, uh, you and I played with, play with him. So, um, no John from way back in the day and just an absolute stud stud. So I'm sure he's a great coach too. Yep. No, he was awesome to work with. He was an assistant coach, uh, the year I was there and we had a great staff overall. I still talk to those guys constantly. Um, but, uh, little is always a guy I, I probably talked to him once or twice a week. So he was always watching our games. And 
I always yeah. try to watch their games. So he's a he's a great dude. I love working with him. That's good. Um, so then after after the you just spent so that's that's interesting too about the so I didn't realize that they had six month contracts um, in the G League. Um, so th- did you just do one season or like essentially six months or what did that look like? And then ultimately back to UNLV, correct? Yeah. So um, we probably had um, uh, the pandemic COVID hit. Mm-hmm. um at the end of that year so we were we were having a, a great year I think we were in first place uh in our division and you know we were we had some really good players and we were having a great year we were getting ready to go on like a five game road trip where we were about to be in 11 different airports and I remember sitting there on a Wednesday and they had just canceled the OKC game and I was sitting there on a three-way with John Little and our other assistant Chase and Allen and I was like there's no way they're letting us travel like we're gonna we're literally gotta go from you know, Milwaukee to Chicago to Philly to DC to like, we're going to be in 11 airports in the next week and a half. Like, there's no way we're doing this. And the next day is, is when we kind of met as a staff and pandemic hit. And, and I, I stayed in, in Oshkosh for another couple of weeks. Um, and then kind of, kind of left there just because there was nothing, you know, everything was kind of shut down and, and came and spent time with my girlfriend here in Des Moines. And, you know, really that's when I was trying to, trying to figure it out. And I think pretty quickly, once I figured out that the, the G league was, you know, canceled and officially shutting down, that's when uh, coach TJ and I had a conversation about, you know, coming to UNLV and, and joining his staff there. So um, did he have an opening or what did that look like? I mean, cause were you thinking, all right, so I Vegas is, I, I always have an opportunity to do some training. This is kind of where I was going to go before this opportunity come up. Or was it like, no, like, Hey, we have an opening. We want you to come be on staff. Yeah, no, he had an opening on staff um, for the player development role. Um, so he he had an opening and we had talked about it. And, you know, I think I think for me, you know, I really enjoyed the training. Um, but, but Adam, kind of what you touched on, just, uh, you know, not not exactly knowing what city I'm going to be in next week. I know my flight's getting paid for, my hotel's getting paid for, but I'm not sure, you know, if I'm in Dallas or Boston or L.A. And um, just kind of that, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed being at, you know, whether it was Iowa State or Indian Hills, just being a part of a team, being a part of a program, kind of knowing and having that stability. So I think that's what when me and Coach TJ had talked about, you know, just, you know, knowing that stability. Because even, you know, the the G League contracts were one one year. At the time, they were one-year contracts. So, you know, I what could have had the opportunity to go back um, with the herd. I had talked to the, the GM and the head coach. You know, they had offered me the, the position uh, kind of right before I took the UNLV job. So, had that opportunity, but, you know, I think obviously my biggest thing was just getting back and, and working with coach TJ and, and working for him. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you, you mentioned it. It's kind of like uh, people are home all the time. It's like, Oh man, traveling sounds like fun. And people who travel all the time are like, man, I just want to be home. Like it's uh, there's a huge difference. It all sounds good until you get about a weekend and you're like, man, I don't know. Yeah. Like oh, I'm ready to be home, ready to be in my own bed. But um so the, the NBA experience, uh, although although short, how, how huge do you think that is, you know, for your continued development? It's kind of we're, we're seeing a little bit of a theme here. Get experience, as much experience as possible from all levels, um, you know, and doing the video guy. But also then, you know, I, I know that you couldn't have helped yourself and had to be in some player development with that video job. How big was that uh, that NBA stop for your development as a coach? Yeah, so the, the cool thing about the NBA is it's kind of the opposite as far as college. So even though I was a video coordinator, uh, literally on my first day 
uh, our head coach, Chase Buford, sat me down and said, you're the fourth assistant. Act like it. Make sure all the video stuff is taken care of, but you're free reign. There was no, you know, there wasn't rules like there is on support staff and on the, in the division one level. Um, so it was awesome for me because I, you know, I made sure obviously all the video and everyone had everything, but we were, I was a part of a pretty tech savvy uh, as far as the assistants and, and our head coach, like they, they know how to get their own film and cut it up and, and show it and present it and all that. So uh, it was a great opportunity for me. And, and I think I learned a ton, you know, obviously from a video standpoint and, you know, a scouting standpoint, really kind of advancing that. But I think the biggest, the biggest takeaway was the player development and, you know, part of it was the player development plan and kind of building those plans out and using analytics and data to, to mesh that and show guys, you know, different areas that they can improve and, you know, how you're going to improve them. So kind of meshing, you know, the, the on the court and the drills and, you know, the specific skills that you're working on with some numbers that you can check back with every single month. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest thing. And then obviously the, the drills and how they work guys out in the Bucks organization and, and in the herd organization. Do you think that the analytics are, feel like it's um, it's already here, but I mean, it's making its way into the college game, but do you think that that's probably one of the biggest differences um, even at the G league level is just the sheer numbers and data that uh, you guys have to go off of from a, from a practice to game to player development side of things? Yeah, no question. Yeah. I mean, the, the analytics are huge, obviously in the NBA, there's, there's full-time analytics guys. Um, for the G League, I was I was kind of surprised with how much data and information and analytics that we were still able to to get on a daily basis. Um, but it's it's definitely kind of making its way to the NBA, or to the sorry to Division One and, and to our level and um, you know with Kempom and, and different metrics like that. Um, but I've I've always enjoyed it, and I think Coach TJ does a really good job of of using the data to tell the story and not have it be the entire story. I think some coaches get so married to the analytics and sometimes in the NBA, they get married to the analytics as well. Um, but I think it's always a piece of the story and it's it's a way that I've really used it to try to help explain guys and where it's not just, hey, it's it's not my opinion that you can't finish at the rim, it's you shoot 43% at the rim and the, the league average is 65. So that's, that's not my opinion, this is a fact, so. I think I've always tried to use it in the same way where it, you use it to tell the story and it's not the entire story. There's still, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're working with people. Um, so it's not just numbers and robots and all that, but you know, it's a, it's a helpful way to kind of get your point across. When you do. Uh, yeah, that's really good. I think that's a, that's a really good explanation on, on how that works and, and marrying those two, because there are a lot of obviously intangible things and, you know, plays as the cliche goes that don't make the stat book. And so it's like, uh, you gotta, you gotta balance the two. Cause like you said, I, can be, uh, I don't need that and be like, well, you're missing, you're missing the boat on a lot of this, or you could go too heavy and, um, you know, you're so heavy in the numbers that now all of a sudden you, you can't even put everything together. And so that's, that's awesome to hear. Um, so UNLV, uh, was it just one year out there as a, as a running rebel? And then um, Iowa State uh, job came available. Uh, was this a slam dunk or, or what do you remember about that process? Um, so it was, you know, it was cool for me. Um, you know, I think when TJ got the job officially, um, again, another honest, straightforward conversation uh, I remember sitting down with him and he said, uh, I don't know what I can pay you and I don't know what your title will be, but if you want to come work at Iowa State, I'm, I have a flight tomorrow morning. 
you can jump in the car and, and drive out there. And that's what I did. And I showed up, uh, I think it got officially announced on a Thursday or Friday, maybe. Uh, or his press conference was on Friday and it got announced on Thursday. And Saturday I was back in Ames, um, drove all the way from, from Vegas back to, back to Iowa State. So, um, you know, it was, it was, again, it's, it's the opportunity. I, I love it here at Iowa State. It's a, it's a great place to be. And obviously working, working for and working with Coach TJ has been, been outstanding. Yeah, that had to have been a really neat opportunity for you, for both of you guys to come back, um, you know, once that opportunity presented itself. And, you know, obviously things, things are, uh, things are going well. Um, you got to be excited about it. And so um, let, let, let's talk here. What's, what's the future for Nate Schmidt look like? Um, and then ultimately, what's, what's the deal with these Cyclones? What, what, what can we look forward to here moving forward uh, this year and in the future? Yeah, no, I, I think the future for me personally, um, you know, I, I love it, love it here at Iowa State and love working for Coach TJ. So uh, I think for now, I'm, I'm definitely here and focused on continuing to build the Iowa State program back to, you know, what it was and beyond. Um, you know, as far as our current group, you know, we're obviously very excited about the guys we have coming in and the guys that we have returning. Um, you know, we feel like we have a lot of experience, but also we have, we had, we're able to add some size and some length and some different skill sets um, kind of at all positions and you know we're, we're excited to get these guys here and they just officially got back to back to campus and then we start workouts on Wednesday um, so we're excited to get them all in the gym and, and get them get them playing with each other and get them used to each other. Yeah well uh, you know not to mention last last year um, you know season you guys had uh, you know unexpected by a lot of people um, you know, but it was, it was a lot of fun to watch that run, um, you know, beginning of season all the way up to mid season, you know, obviously towards the end of the season had a little bit of struggles, but you know, that happens with teams that, uh, you know, to be honest, haven't, haven't played with each other very much. Um, so it's, uh, in the NCAA tournament to see you, uh, win a, win a, win a couple games was, was pretty awesome. And, I, and I'm assuming pretty exciting for the coaching staff as well. No, no question. No question. It was fun. I think. You know, the coolest thing is, is there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of programs that talk about family and culture and, and the different kind of, you know, pop words that, that are all over the place. Um, you know, but, you know, we, we eat breakfast every morning together. We eat dinner every, every night together as a team. And, and that started back in June. And I think that's why, you know, you saw us win a lot of games where the other team was probably a little more talented or, um, you know, whatever it may be, but our guys stuck together and, you know, we were able to have a lot of low ego guys that were extremely hardworking guys that just that bought in. There wasn't, you know, they weren't selfish. There wasn't a lot of, you know, them thinking about themselves. Um, so it was it was awesome to see. And it was awesome to kind of see all of that, all of that summer and, and off season kind of hard work and just the, the bond that our guys were able to have with one another pay off. Yeah, I think we would all agree with that. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of our listeners are coaches. Um, what 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 advice would you give them? Maybe one or two things. Um, if they're you know if they're one of those guys just starting uh, starting off in the coaching industry or maybe trying to decide, hey, do I want to do this coaching thing? You know, what advice would you give to them or you back in that situation as well? You know, from your from your experience right now. Yeah, I think probably the first thing I would say is you know I, I feel like everyone tells young coaches to try to get to know everyone and try to network and meet as many people as possible, and I think. You know, if you look back at, at my career, um, you know, basically Coach TJ has helped me either get or play a big part of getting every single job that I've had. Um, and I think for me, it was finding a handful of people 
and just building great relationships with them and really having those people in your corner. And I think, you know, there's probably five people that have really helped my career more than anyone else. And I think it was, it was more valuable that I put time and, and invested in those five relationships than trying to get to know 200 other people. Um, and I think it's great to know people and it's obviously great to network with people, but I think sometimes um, the relationships aren't, aren't deep enough where, you know, it's probably not someone you can call and ask to help for a job. And, you know, you might, and the person says, like, I don't, I don't really know who you are. I've talked to you twice on the phone and, you know, like, I don't really know you. So I would just say to, to really find, you know, a handful of people and really try to build great relationships um, because I was fortunate enough to have, you know, some, some, you know, whether it was coach Oates or coach TJ or some other people that have helped me along the way, you know, that have really vouched for me and, and people that have really helped me kind of take the next step and, and give me honest feedback and, you know, honest advice and, you know, people that I could lean on, you know, there's, you're not, when you're trying to decide if you want to take a job or not, you're probably not calling a hundred people. You're probably calling a couple. And, and I think you, you got to try to figure out some people that are, are going to be very honest with you um, in that situation. Um, and I think the second thing I would just say is, is the timing is probably never going to be right as far as uh, taking the next job. And I, I say that to kind of touch on something that we didn't touch on. So when I left Iowa state, I actually went and worked at Gulf coast state college. Uh, I worked there for the summer before I went to Indian Hills. And I, I literally left to take the Indian Hills job six days before our first game. And I just, you know, it was a big step up. I always wanted to work at Indian Hills uh, coming out of Iowa State. And I'd had a conversation with Coach Hank and he'd, he'd say this if he was sitting here. I met with him in the summer and he said, I would never hire you as an assistant. You need to go get some experience. Uh, and then sure enough, six months later, he hired me as an assistant and, you know, we, we joke about it to this day, but I, I think like, I knew it was a better job. I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to be, you know, at Indian Hills. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's always tough decisions and the timing, I think, I think in this business, we all want the timing to be perfect. We want it to be, you know, uh, the right time in the summer or not to, not to happen in September or, you know, different things like that. But I, I think just, you know, if, if that's a job you want and, and you know, that's the job that's going to help you and, and that's, that's where you want to be, then just, you know, go and do it. And I think um, that was something that, you know, just some of my friends that are younger, they've, they've maybe hesitated because of the timing, whether it was early September, or guys just got back to campus or, you know, it's it, the season just ended or whatever it may be. Um, but I just think that's, uh, that's a, a valuable piece as well. Great. Love that. Love that. Well, coach, this has been awesome. Uh, just learned a little bit more about you and your story. Um, we like to end our podcast episodes with a little section we call rapid fire. So Brian's going to ask a couple questions, some about hoops, some not about hoops. And uh, you just tell us what comes to the top of your head. You guys didn't give me a heads up for this part. No, no we didn't. We don't like to do that. No, I like uh, it. Yeah, I like it. Let's do it. We, you can't uh, think about it. You just got to react. Um, all right. So first one, uh, favorite visiting gym or arena you've had an opportunity to coach in? Uh, probably Kansas. I was going to say, I almost, I almost yeah. uh, said remove yeah. Allen Fieldhouse because it feels like if you've been in the <laughs> yeah. Big 12, like that's just, that's just a spot. My, my second one, which it's not an arena, but uh, Detroit Pershing High School it's on the east side of Detroit. And it is a it's a tiny gym with a tiny track and it's old and it's it's a hostile place to play. So we played there a nice. couple of times when I was at Rama. So that would probably be the the non-college one that I would say. I like it. So it has the little track above it, you said? 
Oh yeah. So yeah. it's like uh like above the rim vibes or what? Yeah, I mean it's it's and it's small. I mean it's probably four rows of bleachers on each side and it's packed in there. And you know, they say there's only 250 people allowed in there and there's probably a thousand in there and there's the people hanging on the track and you know, I mean, it, there's people right behind your bench and there, you know, it's a lot of stuff going on. So I enjoyed it. I mean, we had, we had fun with it cause it was a pact. I mean, it was probably the for number one team versus number two team in the state of Michigan when we played the game. So it was yeah. a fun place to play. That sounds yeah. fun. That sounds awesome. Uh, only allowed 250 people in front one versus two game. Um, <laughs> do you have a, a, pre, a pregame routine or ritual or anything that you have to do on game day? I don't. I don't. I, I'm not a very like superstitious. I, I'm, I'm a pretty big routine person, um, but I'm not as far as like, you know, if I don't eat at this certain time, it messes my whole schedule up. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to get to the arena early and, and just make sure, you know, we're prepared as far as everything we need film wise and making sure our guys are good and they're in the right mindset. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have like a ton of, you know, there are some people on staff I won't mention, but they'll, they'll crush like a Red Bull or something like that. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have like a certain, you know, if I need a Red Bull, I'll drink a Red Bull, but I don't, <laughs> I don't have a certain, certain schedule, I guess, that I stick to. No, that's good. It's, it's funny to hear that too, because, you know, a lot of coaches do and a lot of coaches don't, or they'll pick something up or, you know, all of a sudden, like I went for a run and before one game and we played really well. So I go for a run and, you know, and so it's just interesting to always hear on, um, how some people do or don't. Um, all right, uh, all-time starting five. Who do you got in your all-time all-time starting five? Oh boy, for Iowa State only? Nope. Uh, all-time. We're talking the greats. We're talking NBA. You can do whatever you want to do. All-time starting five. Oh, okay, I was I was thinking players that I coach. Okay, that time right. I, I thought about it, but I was like that puts you in a bad spot. So That's I'd rather just go, yeah, because you're gonna leave the six guys are gonna give you a call and be like, come on, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, boy, that's really hard. Let me think about this. All right. I would probably go, um, just because I'm a Pistons fan, I'd probably go Chauncey Billup as my point guard. Okay. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, I might throw Rasheed Wallace in that before. Ooh, there we um, go. Big Pistons fan growing up, yeah. obviously, the titles and, yeah. and all that. Um <laughs> And then I, I would probably say Shaq um, just That's growing up, you know, that when I was kind of getting excited, Shaq was pretty dominant in the league. So I would probably say those are my five, obviously throwing Rashid in there just because you need a guy to kind of mix it up and, for some excitement. So. Well, absolutely. That's a good, that's a good five though. You get, uh, yeah, you get Sheet. I mean, you got to share the ball a little bit, you know, I mean, MJ, Kobe, <laughs> it's all Shaq. That's a, it's a tough group. Got some gamers in there. I like it. Um, you have a favorite basketball shoe all time? Ooh, favorite basketball. Probably the 2009 Hirachis uh, with the strap. Uh, I love those. Uh, I've probably wore every basketball shoe growing up. I was, I'm pretty big into shoes, so I've probably tried to play in a bunch of them. I think uh, the C-Web Dada's ones uh, yep. had a little, little spinning spinning wheel on the shoe. I've, I've worn those before, but I would say the the 09 Hirachis are probably my favorite. I probably had about four or five pairs of those over my years. So George George really liked those too. Yes, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we had a span where Monte Matt, I think it was Monte Matt and George kind of wore them, and they were white, blue, and red. And red, we played yep. Kansas, and our fans were like going crazy because we had <laughs> Kansas 
colored shoes, but it was that they kind of re-came out with them. Nike kind of came back out with them, and those, that was the only colorway that they came out with. That's also probably the first time that Dada's have been mentioned on the podcast. I don't, those I don't think those have ever been uh, been dropped on here. So yeah, that's the first one. time tonight. Yeah, those in the T Max. So. T Max were big. Cause what was, so what was high school colors? So my uh, first high school was green and gold. Um, so it was a lot of black and silver shoes. Um, and then my second high school was blue and, and silver. So um, kind of by the time my senior year, we were, we were wearing all types of colors. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, did you ever, so did you ever wear something for a game that you're like, this is dumb? Like, I shouldn't have worn these. Like, this, they're either not comfortable, a little bit heavier than you thought, grip wasn't right. I mean, I feel like there's always that one where you like put on a pair of up tempos and you're like, I'm slower than I was yesterday in these things. Yeah, I wore the Oreo, the Jordan Oreo sixes. Okay. And I'm, I'm pretty slow, slow footed. And uh, those did not help. Uh, they were kind of like, I felt like I was wearing boots out there. So uh, they definitely, definitely lowered my athleticism level. Yeah, there's definitely some of those. I mean, the sixes would be one, like the fives. Like there are a few of them that's like, these are, these are cool. There's cool shoes, but you just can't play in them. Like there's a difference between a, a game shoe and a, a chilling shoe. So, um, all right. So you uh, spent quite a bit of time out in Vegas. What's, where's the low key spot? Like, where do you, like, where do you go? you know, maybe something good to eat, a place to chill, whatever it is. Like, where's the low key spot that, um, you know, if you're going out there, that's like, Hey, sneak away from all the chaos and go, go here. Yep. So I, I would say green Valley ranch in Henderson. Uh, there's a casino called green Valley ranch and there's a little area right around there that has a ton of different restaurants. And there's actually some restaurants that are inside the casino that are really good. Um, but I would say there, uh, our director of ops at the time at UNLV Deshaun Henry, uh, he was uh, not from Vegas, but spent a lot of time in Vegas and actually went to UNLV. So there's a lot of kind of like random low key spots that he took me as well. Um, but yeah, I would say Green Valley Ranch is a spot that's kind of 10, 15 minutes away from the strip. And, you know, it's a kind of calmer hangout, good food type vibe. Not as, not as crazy as the Vegas scene. You always like got that. You got to find, yeah, you got to find those little pockets or the little, like, where are the locals going when you get to, especially, especially tourist type places like that. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So sticking with that and kind of figuring out a little bit about places we don't know as much about, I want you to power rank the top five cities in Michigan. So you can, you can do this, rank them based off of whatever you want or however you want to do this, but give me the, the, the top five cities in the, in the state of Michigan. Oh, top five cities. I will say, let's go Ann Arbor one, okay. Ypsilanti two. I like it. We'll probably say Detroit three. Okay. Um, and then for recruiting purposes, I'll say Saginaw four and Flint five. There you go. I All like right. it. Let's see. So we have anything in the UP? Any, are any of those in the Upper Peninsula? I, nothing in the UP. Nothing, nothing in the UP. You're uh, not going up there. Do you play golf? Are you not a golfer or what? Not a huge golfer. Not a yeah. huge golfer. I made a couple, you know, when I was a kid, we made a couple trips up to the UP. I'm trying to remember exactly where it was in the UP. It was, it was up in the UP, kind of on the west side. Um, but yeah. then we went camping a couple of times up there in canoes. I'm completely drawing a blank on the, on the town, but, um, yeah. I've heard some, uh, 
heard some great things about the UP when it comes to golf, outdoor, like all that type of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it feels like, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. I mean, I think I've flown through, I've flown through Detroit and done some of that stuff, but never really spent any real time in Michigan. So, uh, it sounds like it's two completely different States, um, the way that that works, but, uh, it's always good to, good to learn a little bit more from a local, um, two more coach. We'll get you out of here. Uh, best place to eat in Ames. Best place to eat in Ames. Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I might get people calling me about this one. <laughs> um, all right. Best place to eat in Ames. I would probably have to go with cornbread. Okay. I think cornbread. that's a place that, that we really like. Um, cornbread's good. I think the, the hot spot, um, I'll do a top three. Since, okay. Um, yep. I don't get in trouble, but filling station. Big time place. Our staff loves to go there all the time. And then uh, Big Acai Bowl is another place. So we probably went to, there was a stretch where we probably went to filling station two or three times uh, a week for a, for a good stretch and they cater a lot of our meals. So that's a really good spot. And I like taking people from out of town there because it's connected to a gas station. So they think it's, yeah. they have no idea what to expect and it's really good food. So yeah. filling station is definitely one of my favorites. What are we doing here? Uh, are the are the players still obsessed with Fuji, or what's the deal with that? Because um, working camp, man, those guys and their Fuji. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Now we've gotten a little more stricter on them, trying to get double chicken, double steak, double rice, double veggies, <laughs> and then you know take half of it to go home. So we've gotten a little stricter on that, but yeah, no question, players still love Fuji. Um, and so the the one the one day obviously they're calling in their Fuji order and um, uh, I think that whoever was doing it I think they used uh, Sherard's uh, phone and called in this I don't know two hundred dollar lunch order for all the players to the Fuji in Chicago. Um, <laughs> and so got yeah. there to got there to pick it up and obviously it wasn't there and obviously there's a fuji in chicago that was pissed about 200 dollars of food that uh never got picked <laughs> up and uh you had about uh 10 hungry players that were were real pissed because they didn't get their fuji yeah thankfully at the time the gas weren't making the orders that was probably a, a manager mistake so <laughs> that wasn't me that did that, that thankfully <laughs> That was, that was not you. Yeah. That was, uh, that was probably one of those, one of those guys running around. So that was funny. I just, I just remember Naz just being all worked up about not getting, not getting his Fuji over lunch. So, mm -hmm. all right. Uh, last one coach, we appreciate the time we'll get you out of here, but, uh, coming full circle, coming back to Ames, what would, what would you say is the best thing about, uh, getting the opportunity to be a cyclone? Uh, I would definitely say the, the fan support, and just the community support that we have. I think it's, you know, we, we talk about it with recruits a lot, but just, you know, our guys are, they're the LeBron, they're the, you know, they're the superstars of town. And, you know, just the, you know, part of it is, you know, they have, they have to understand that, that everywhere they go, the, the eyes are on them. But at the same time, it's a, it's an amazing opportunity for them to, you know, play in front of a great fan base and, and feel the support on a daily basis. Uh, you know, our big kid from St. Bonaventure, Shun, uh, texted me when he was flying here that, you know, on the flight to Des Moines, he already had people, he had two people come up to him and say they're excited about him being a cyclone. And, and I just texted him back. I said, get ready for it because it's everywhere you go. You know, there's going to be fans coming up to you and, and having conversations and asking for pictures and all that. So I would think, I think that's what really makes Iowa State a special place is the fan support, um, you know, that we get not just, not just during our home games, but, you know, constantly throughout the year. 
That's awesome. Well, coach, we're super excited for you. Congrats again on the promotion. Uh, we know you're going to do great and big things. Uh, we're excited to see what uh, what the team's able to do and uh, the success you guys are able to build not only this year, but uh, in the future. And so best of luck. And again, thanks for thanks for taking some time and jumping on with us here. Definitely appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, coach, as, as Brian said, it was great to talk to you. Great to meet you finally. Um, learn a little bit more about you and uh, excited to um, uh, excited for the upcoming year for the Cyclones, you know, building off what it did last year, um, adding, adding some exciting new pieces. Um, and I think it should be another great year. So we're, we're excited for that. And like Brian said, too, thanks for the time. Um, we really appreciate it. Definitely. Appreciate you guys both.